Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Happy New Year, people. Hi, it's me, your favorite, favorite podcaster, Bonnie Somerville from Second Act. I was gone for a while, but I'm back. I hope you all had a great holiday. It's an amazing time. We have a new year. We have a new president. Hopefully, we're going to get out of this freaking pandemic soon because it's been hell on all of us. Um, Had to take a little break. I was shooting Blue Bloods in New York City for a few weeks, and uh, which was great. And then um, went away for a while, had some family stuff. Uh, Lots of things went on. But most importantly, I got engaged. Ta-da! And they said it wouldn't happen. But officially, I am in my second act. And I am engaged to Mr. Dave McLean, who is my producer. And he's listening to this right now. And I would not be doing this podcast without him because honestly, guys, he does all the work. He does all the graphics. He does all the editing. And speaking of graphics, our Instagram page was deleted by those fuckers. I'm just kidding. But I don't know what happened. They just, uh, they just, it just went away. It deleted and I, they didn't get back to me and I tried. So all of that hard work that Dave did was wiped out. But not to worry, because I know that you've been really upset about it, looking forward every single day. We have a new one. It is second underscore act underscore podcast on Instagram. So I'm going to start to put up all the same photos and new photos. And please message me there. I would love to hear from all of you. And also, you know, you can always find me on Bonds with a Z, Somerville, on Instagram because I'm cool, like the Fonz. Um, God, I'm so cheesy. But yes, I am engaged, and that is uh, an amazing second act for me. Um, I just, it's crazy. You never know. You think you're never going to find love, and you just have so many failures. And a lot of us, you know, took the long, 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 long wait. And 46 years old, I met my man. So you just never, never know when your second act or your third or your 400th is coming. So there's just a little cheesy inspiration for you. And I'm definitely going to have um, an interview with Dave. I think we should just do like a relationship interview because so many of you message me about that. Um, and I've certainly had a few. <laughs> so we will do that. And you could get to talk to him too. And so many wonderful people coming up in the new year. This next person I'm so excited about. We went to high school together back in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Poly Prep. What's up? Um, so proud of her success. She has had so many amazing acts in her life, everything from high school English teacher at LaGuardia, you know, the famous fame school, to working at Vogue, to working at Departures, and then now she is editor-in-chief for nine years of Town & Country Magazine, which is the oldest running magazine in America. It's 180 years old, which is pretty amazing. Um, She also is a historical jewelry expert, which are two of my favorite things. I'm obsessed with history. If you know me and follow me, I'm a medieval history junkie, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm you know I'm obsessed with jewelry too. I'm kind of really a girly girl about that stuff. Her book is on Amazon. It's called Jewels That Made History: 101 Stones, Myths, and Legends. So you got to look at that book. It is stunning. Her name is Staline Volandes. I am so proud of all she's done, and I'm honored that she came on my little podcast. And I can't wait to share this interview with you. So please enjoy. So I'm very excited to talk to somebody who actually went to my high school in Brooklyn, Poly Prep, I think what, class of 89? who is the editor of Town and Country, editor of Town and Country, and has done so many fabulous, glamorous things. And I am obsessed with her taste in all things, especially jewelry and a fellow history lover, Celine Volandez. Hi. Hi, Bonnie. Um, And I will tell everyone listening that I remember 
I had graduated and I came back to see Bonnie Somerville in Cabaret. And I remember that. I do. I do. Because I was, well, I was really involved in the theater program at Poly. And so I, you know, I graduated in 89 and then I was home from college and some of the people in the theater department said, oh, you should come see this cabaret. It's really great. And uh, Becky Feldman, who's also out in L.A. and doing yes. amazing things in L.A., was in it as well. She played the MC, and she was a close friend. And so I came and I remember you as Sally Bowles. I do. Thank you. That is so I'm so I flattered. Do. I think that was my highest moment. Yeah. I think I peaked. I peaked at the, at the <laughs> Richard Perry Theater. I I think there have been some other big peaks after that, oh, but I, I, do w- I wanted to do that on Broadway. Ah, uh, well, you know, movie's not over yet. Well, um, uh, you know, um, and I remember you hadn't been so involved in theater, so it was like this revelation um, to see Bonnie Somerville up on stage. Thank you. That is, I'm very flattered. Yeah. I was so, um, I was honored because, um, Miss Laura Eliasoff, I will never forget her name. I still have a photo of her framed next to my bed, like Mm. just as motivation because I auditioned and I was so nervous and she was like, I was kind of a pain in the ass kind of teen and constantly in detention. And I wasn't like the quiet one. (laughs) I'm still not the quiet one. Um, and she was like, I'm going to give you this chance. And if you mess up, mess with me, and if you don't give me a thousand percent, because like nobody thinks that you could do this. And I was a sophomore and it was like a huge change in my life. Like talk about like my first act. That was kind of, I was like, someone believed in me and I did it and I did it, you know? And it was, oh God, what an amazing, that's very- Isn't it amazing when, no, but it really is true. I really do remember it and thinking like, oh, I, I you know, because I knew all your group of friends mm-hmm. um, because and you none all of them dated were in a lot theater. of guys. No, but oh, oh, you yeah. all dated a lot of guys in my grade. <laughs> so we all sort of had it in the to be honest. And, and let's be and honest. And so then suddenly, it wasn't the most artsy high school, like everyone out there to know. We went to top 10 Ivy League prep school, an amazing school, and it's 200 something years old. And now forget it. I can't believe how much it costs. I don't know how any of our parents could afford it now. It's like it's like ridiculous. But um, it was a jock school. You know, it was an academic and athletic yeah. school. So if you did art, it was not cool. None of my friends were right. in the art scene. Yeah. Are you still in touch with a lot of people from Polly? Because I, I kind of left and did my own thing and never really. Yeah, um, you know, I am in touch with them. I had a few close friends that I stayed in touch with. And then over this period, actually, a small group from from the class of 89 has had a regular Zoom call. And we have we started it in maybe April and it was weekly for a while and now it's monthly, but we still do it. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it's not the people I was closest to in school, um, but it's people that um, that I have developed these great friendships with now. And it's it's been a really wonderful thing. That's amazing. Um, you know, Polly, I, I always say, I mean, you talked about sort of the, the, the teacher who changed your life. And mm-hmm. I, as we go through first acts and second acts and third acts, those people, you know, I think you learn to have your own voice that says you can do this. Um, but having someone else say you can do it is is always such an important um, moment. And, and I had a it. lot of those people... Uh, yeah, it justifies yeah. it. And it just feels, you know, having support, I think is, you know, I, I think we, we all work really hard to be self-sufficient and to learn to um, sort of lean on ourselves a lot for support. But, but having support, I think this time has proved to us how important it is. Yeah. Um, and, and how important it is to support others and, and to support, you know, each other. 
Talk about, um, talk so, about Second Acts, this whole entire pandemic. And you're so involved with helping save the local places in New York and all the places you love. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree. If, if, if Miss Eliasov, I, I swear, I, I have her photo in my bedside table. And I just mm-hmm. really, I was just not the kid that anyone would have taken a chance on at the time. Because I was just kind of like mm-hmm. going through, it was like a difficult kid. My parents and divorce, like I just, I wasn't. I wasn't the kid that you'd like bet on like that. And and she was like, you can do this, but you have to promise me that you're going to give me 100%. You're not going to be late. You could do this. And it really did change my life completely. And now I'm like, God, I wish I wish I had more of that now in my career, you know, because then, you know, that kind of goes away the more success we have. But speaking of success, you went from like Polly to Vassar to being a high school teacher at LaGuardia for three years, right? Well, well, there's one. Well, it's not exactly that. So and you got your master's um, after Polly. I did. So after Polly, I went to Vassar, thinking maybe I would go uh, be a drama major uh-huh. um, because I had been so involved in theater at Polly. But um, at Vassar, being a drama major is like a really serious thing, um, and you have to learn set design and costume design. And I was like. Hmm, you know, maybe not. And, you know, someone said, if you can get talked out of it, you shouldn't do it. And I got talked out of it pretty quickly. Good um, and I became an English major. Yeah. And I became an English major and I interned at lots of magazines um, during college. I would come down uh, from Poughkeepsie to the city and go back up at night. Um, and so after college, I uh, got a job at Vogue. So I was at Vogue for three years. I was the assistant to the arts editor and the features editor. Oh my! God. And that's important because that features editor really became one of my mentors. So after three years at Vogue, I thought, you know, I'm not sure if this is what I want my life to be about. I'm not sure what's next. And, um, I thought I really, I want to go back to school and I think I want to be an English teacher. Um, And so I went and got my master's and then I did. I taught for about two and a half years at LaGuardia, the fame school. Yeah, for people that don't know, Um, that is the fame school, which I wanted to go to because I did think at the time people were leaping throughout the hallways and tap dancing. And um, my mom actually- hot lunch jam. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to go there because I got into Polly and she was like, you're going to Polly. But um, were, were kids leaping all over the place? Is that true? Or was that just the movie? They, you know, they, they weren't. They definitely weren't. But it is an amazing, amazing place. Um, and that it exists in this city is remarkable. Um, it is, I mean, the kids that, that I taught were... You know, I mean, so creative in every way. And it's allowed to an be. Incredibly yes, and allowed to be. That, that's and why that to school be. is Keep so important. Like, the only school yeah. like that in L.A. that I know of is Crossroads. And that's that. That's the art and uh-huh. science like that the parent. I mean, you don't find high schools, pub, especially public schools, yeah. like where you're yeah. allowed to yeah. be a writer, a painter, a right. designer, a singer. And like, yeah. where where do you find right. that? That's uh, a remarkable place. And it also, yeah, no, I, and I loved it. And being in front of a classroom, I mean, it is maybe sort of my natural habitat. I mean, I, I really felt so comfortable and, you know, I think it sort of helped me. I do a lot of public speaking now for town and country and for my books and, that experience, I mean, I think the other thing you learn is every single thing you do somehow helps you in the next thing that you do. Even if you don't realize it or you or don't expect you it to, it yeah. does. Right, exactly. Something that, so like being in front of those, you know, like 35 teenagers and trying to get them to be interested in the scarlet letter, <laughs> I mean, it shows you how to how to take whatever subject, I mean, it helped me so much in my writing too, because it's, you know, you think sort of, okay, maybe none of them are interested in this. What am I going to open this lesson with that's going to get them interested in it? And it's the same way when I'm starting a piece for town and country, I think the same way, right? What's what's my way in? Um, 
No. And so, so after that experience. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I went to departures. That's okay. You went to departures, but I wanted to go back about how did you go from like your Greek? I love, I, I, I love all of your Greek like stories. You know, that's my favorite place in the world. I'm, I've only been once, but I swear to God, if I could uh, have a little place in Greece, like it is heaven. But so you have this Greek family, you, you grew up in Brooklyn, like, how did you go from that to going into the fashion editorial Vogue? Because that world to me is still so glamorous because I've never, other than press for for shows. And I mean, I modeled a little bit, but I wasn't a yeah. good one. I mean, it was mostly like yeah. Bloomingdale's. <laughs> um, how did that happen? Like, like what, how did that lead you to that glamorous New York? Like, I just think of um, Devil Wears Prada I, every time you say Vogue. My big Oh, yeah. Um, oh no, well, my big fat Greek wedding. Like a big fat Greek wedding and the devil wears Prada, right? Like how do you, how do you sort yeah. of get from the big fat Greek wedding to the devil wears Prada? Um, well, I think, you know, I mean, listen, I loved my big fat Greek wedding. I mean, I watch it and I cry both from laughing and from like genuine emotion. And there's, you know, I definitely grew up and, you know, I mean, Polly, there were a lot of Greek Polly and in, in our sort of Brooklyn community. And, and um, you know, for me, that meant community. It meant a sense of identity. And it meant for me also that I always had a cheering section, no matter what I did. And so I think some people um, sort of, take that and stay within it like very tightly I sort of somehow I felt like I could venture out of it because I always knew that I would have that support um you know and if I so and I also I had an uncle who was an actor and so from when I was very young sort of I was introduced to to a different world and I will tell you like he I he took me to see the king and I when I was like five years old and we went to the plaza after, and that was it. I was sort of, you know, and I met all his theater friends and I was oh. like, okay, this is it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I just had, you know, and I had teachers who, um, you know, I, I had my eye on a certain way I wanted to live and the kind of people I wanted to be around. And I just sort of, uh, sort of, or was guided by that. So, so um, and I'm still, I'm sorry. still super in touch with my sort of Greek community and, yes. and you know, Greek friends. And I go to Greece every summer and sometimes twice a year. I know. I'm um, jealous when I see your Instagram <laughs> stories. Um, this is the first time I haven't been in a year in a very long time. Um, and it is my first pre-pandemic trip for sure. Um, but yeah, so I just, I sort of had a, a vision of being in that world. And I think, you know, I was at Vogue, I was in the features department, which, you know, I think is a different experience than being in the fashion department. And I was lucky enough to have two, um, two bosses, two editors there who were really wonderful to me. And, um, you know, when I left LaGuardia, one of them had become editor in chief of departures and he hired me. He hired me back. And, you know, and and when I decided that teaching was was not going to be sort of my my long term career, um, I really I wondered if I would be able to get back into magazines um, or if I would have to be someone's assistant all over again. And he um, he really gave me a second chance. And um, and I stayed at that magazine for nine years. Wow. I remember that magazine. I used to temp at um, a place in LA and that was one of the magazines. And I just, I still, all I remember is answering when I was going on auditions and driving a 65 Mustang and like Publicitas Globe Media, like I was the temp. And I remember they used to rep, they used to sell, I don't know what it is, but they would sell advertising, yeah. Yeah, advertising to departures and to yeah. um, a lot of different magazines and travel and leisure. And I remember sitting yeah. there and like my love of travel is in history, like you, we can yeah. talk about that later and, and acting and just be looking through these magazines while I was trying to sneak out and go on an audition for like Carl's Jr. commercial and being <laughs> like, someday I'm going to go to this place. Someday I'm going to go to this place. Uh, 
And I didn't grow up in my family in Brooklyn was so different. Like it, it wasn't that big European kind of family. So it was just like, I didn't have that. We went to visit our, our grandmas in, you know, Greece or, you know, a lot of our friends did. Right. right. Brooklyn where we grew up was such a multicultural place. It was, yeah. So you're at departures for nine years. So like that's so like that's like your second, third act at this point, maybe because you've done like masters, teaching English kind of theater, and then you're at departures for nine years, and then like w- how do you get to become editor in chief? Well, I first the longest to- running magazine, by the way. Yeah. Congratulations! Yes, yeah, 175 years 175 this year. Five years in in yeah. publication. That's amazing. It is. It is. Um. So I went to town and country first as an editor. Uh-huh. So I was I in 2011. Um, town and country had a new editor in chief named Jay Fielden, who I sort of knew from the business, and he had a really um, interesting and bold uh, vision for what town and country could be. And uh, I met with him a few times, and I thought um, I want I'm gonna this feels right. And you know I think. People ask me often how I made that change because I was at Departures for so long. I was so close to Richard David Story, who's my mentor. And really, I mean, that was a formative experience. Um, And it just, it was the first, you know, I had interviewed for different things during that time, but it was the first interview where I thought, you know, and this is again, instinct and trusting your gut. As soon as I left that first interview with Jay, I said, this is my next job. Isn't and that I, amazing when that happens? Totally. This is my next job. And, um, you know, I, I knew there would be risk because I was so comfortable at departures. And so, you know, I, I had so much. Um, I, it was just a wonderful, wonderful place that he had let me. Richard was really wonderful about let me pursuing so many different interests. And he's really the one who put me on the jewelry course. Um, oh my God, your jewelry. Yeah. yeah. So, so were you, were you scared? Like, was that a very scary decision or that you were just like, this is. I wasn't I- scared at all. Well, I wasn't scared at all. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, I think, listen, there are some people who would say, you know, those nine years, I could have moved around more and taken more chances, but I never felt that definitive, this is my next job until I interviewed there. And, um, and so I, I went there and I was an editor from 2011 to 2016. And then Jay Fielden became the editor in chief of Esquire. And they promoted me to editor in chief of town country. That's unbelievable. I mean, what, what was it like when you're like, I'm the editor in chief of the oldest running publication magazine, like ever? I just feel like that's that's like, it's like you a, know, I I feel I like so we, young, you know. Well, I, I wasn't so young, really. I'm I'm one of the older editor in chiefs, actually. Because the business has changed a lot. Um, you know, I think that I mean, town and country. I've been there now since 2011. And um, it is, it's just such an important part of my life. You know, it, it is a magazine. So many of the things that have always mattered to me that I have always valued have a place in that magazine. And yeah. that is, it is a rare thing. Um, it's a ma- you know, I've always love that magazine. I always buy it. I've always bought it on every trip I've ever taken. And it really is one of those magazines that like, it's just so reliable. It is what it is. It doesn't change. It doesn't sell out. It doesn't get like, okay, we're going to talk about the hottest new thing now. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's really, it's it, yeah. elegance, tradition, the history, all of it. Yeah, no. And, you know, we also, you know, I mean, it's an American treasure yeah. town and country. It really is. And I think that you know, you feel almost like you're a steward of it and you're, you're given this treasure to take care of while you are in charge of it. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a responsibility that I take very seriously and, uh, I love my job. I mean, you know, it, it gets, it gets tougher, you know, the environment is, is tough right now. I mean, 
obviously. I survived the, um, you're one of the few magazines that has had survived the staying in print. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, we have a mutual friend, Nicole Vecarelli, right? Yeah. Who, yeah. Who, 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 I mean, I, again, like this, I'm so fascinated by your world and always have been, but, um, yeah, like so many people just losing their jobs and going out of print and then the whole digital age and like everything that happened, like, how did you, how do you think you guys survived that, that huge, just, it just kind of all seemed to go away. I just remember yeah. that there was a year or two when that's all. Yeah. I yeah. would visit New York. I'd go out with Nicole and some of Blaine's friends and all of them. And I'd be listening to this, like a tennis match. Cause I'm like, I know nothing. I just like pretty <laughs> photos and jewelry <laughs> and history <laughs> and architectural digest. But, um, it was just like this doggy dog, like, you know, yeah. kind of- it, no, there was, um, there was, I remember that year where it yeah. just felt like everyone was giving up on print. I think what happened was people, began to realize, and I actually think this period of the the pandemic sort of has highlighted how different mediums deliver different experiences for the consumer, client, reader, whatever the the, um, sort of target audience is. And, you know, town and country is an experience. When you sit down with that print magazine, it is printed on beautiful paper. It is, you know, filled with beautiful images. We consider that someone is sitting down with it. And so, you know, what is that experience from start to finish? Is this page giving them calm? Is when they turn that page, are we sort of exciting them and making them laugh? Do Are we teaching them something? Are we um, making them dream. And we really think of how we order each page wow. to create a full experience. I mean, even our headlines. I am really adamant that every single detail of every single page delivers the best possible content. Um, you know, there's nothing that drives me crazier than a lazy headline. Um, oh, that's a great quote. Yeah. Get that one, Dave. <laughs> Dave is very interested in this. You know, he's he's an advertising marketing guy. Ah, okay. Yeah, and has his own you know, company. And he yeah, just, he's you can tell when people have sort of phoned yeah. it in or given up. Yeah. And you know, if you want someone to invest, you know, nine dollars and up for a yeah. print magazine and invest their time, right? They're sitting on their sofa investing their time, you need to deliver on that investment. So yeah. do you think that just some of these other publications just didn't have like- the Oh, no, I, I think that the industry sort of maybe gave up on itself um, too soon. You and know, I think social media also, which yeah. I consider it is the best thing when you follow people like you, everybody who's listening, you need to follow Staline's Instagram. Uh, it is you. so beautiful. You do the best stories. Um, it really is beautiful and interesting. And I actually learn a lot, but- um, I do think that that the whole reality world happened, the reality shows. I mean, a lot of like the traditional things just got completely destroyed by that stuff. Yeah, I, I think also, you know, there is a sense of, you know, reaction, right? Like, like things start changing and and there is sometimes an immediate reaction where is if you sort of, wait and see and and sort of think it through but that's not always economically feasible i understand that but you know there are so many magazines that were closed during that time that people still are nostalgic for yeah and and you think oh what do you wow. mean like sassy that was like my first modeling job was in sassy amazing I mean, listen, people still, you know, Ruth Reichel, who had been the editor-in-chief of Gourmet as a columnist at Town & Country, and when we post her column, people still, yeah. you know, talk about Gourmet and yeah. and how much they miss it. And, yeah. um, you know, and I think there are a few other magazines like that, but, um, you know, it's, uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a magazine person. I love magazine people. Um, and I really love making a magazine. Now I'm also, you know, I oversee the the digital content also, and that's a whole other 
it's a whole other um, medium, you know, yeah. and why people consume on uh, consume digital content versus what they sit down with in a magazine it should be different. And it is. And, and that's all fine. Do you think the magazine like when you do um, when you when you come out with like your next magazine, do you think consider it like storytelling? Like like the way that you come up with content, do you think of it like like a storytelling thing? Um, uh, storytelling is at the heart of every single thing I do. Right. I mean, is that your I, background? Like, do you think that's your drama English? Uh, yeah, I think it's English. I also think it's how I react to content, right? I mean, you know, it's like you have to always think, you know, if I'm asking myself this or if I'm interested in this person, I bet other people are. Let me sort of think about why and and pursue that. But also it's, it's how you, storytelling is, is about finding the story. It's about how you tell the story, but it's making sure you have a story. I mean, you know, another thing that Richard's story taught me this, if you don't have a headline, you don't have a story. Because if you don't know how to encapsulate what is important about that story, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm sure Dave is listening, it's the elevator pitch, right? If you can't do your elevator pitch, on a story, you know, I, I've probably lost interest. Dave is writing because he always writes little notes, although he's really interested in, in this. So because I've only gotten one. He just wrote, I always say, if you can't tell me your idea in a single sentence, you don't have one. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. You See, know, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. And I'm like my mother who worked on Wall Street and I'm, you know, guilty of this. And it's, it's, she's always like, Bonnie, she would say, Bonnie, 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 like, 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 condem- like 30 words or less. Like that's what she would tell kids <laughs> when they would interview at Goldman Sachs. Uh-huh. You'd be like 30 words or less. And I'm, actors are nuts and I'm particularly <laughs> verbose as everyone knows. And it's like, so I have such a hard time just like, so I don't even know if I could do what you guys do. Cause I'd be like, but, but also this, but also this, but then for some reason, when I'm, when I have a script, I have an, an ability to be quiet and, and yeah. like live in those, that person's words. And um, I'm actually not a fan of when I work with people and they're all over the place and ad living all over the place and adding stuff. And, but yet in my real life, I have such a hard time. (laughs) But I mean, that's also about training, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Right. I mean, like we are now trained in our industries, either formal training or training through experience. You are now trained in, in your art. And so you know how to do that. Whereas, you know, if you started having to write headlines all the time, you know, I mean, sometimes people on staff are like, um, how, where did that headline come from? And I say, I've been doing this for like a long time. Yeah, it's like little uh, jewels, little jewels. Yeah, you so. ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're just like, I have to write this down. Yes, but I don't generally write it down. So okay. I mean, sometimes I'll send text messages to myself or no, um, cause I sleep with my phone near me, which I know is, is a bad thing, but we all do. And it's a bad yeah, thing. It's a bad thing. Um, but oh yeah, and now one of my New Year's resolutions is not to send, because um, I also am a very early riser. And so I would sort of have these thoughts and send very early emails to editors. And I'm working on the draft folder. That's my New Year's resolution. You so I write would get things. along. He's, an, he's a 5.30 a.m., <laughs> 6 a.m. By the time I'm waking up, I feel like the biggest loser. He's like run eight miles. He's pitched a few things. He's written a few things. I'm like, I, it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm envious of that. I want to be more of, the, of an early riser. Well, I think, listen, someone was telling me yesterday that during this um you know, pandemic period, they, they really have been sleeping in and how awful it is. And my feeling is whatever works for anyone to get through this time. Yeah, absolutely fine. I think like, you know, again, this whole second act idea, I think I told you when I, or if you listen to the intro, it really came from, um, you know, you know, in your forties, thinking that I was going to be at a certain place, having had so many close calls, so many shows that were going to be the next big show, the next big girl, the, you know, record deals I had too, I got dropped. And then, um, so many just close calls. And then all of a sudden 
I was like in my 40s, you know, for another bad relationship, didn't end up getting married, didn't end up having kids, just just everything hit rock bottom. And I was my, my girlfriend said to me, she's like, Bunny, you just need to find your second act. Like mm-hmm. it's not over. And I just yeah. was like, that is something that every single person in whatever field, like you, yeah. whether it's whether it's all failures or whether they're all successful acts. Everyone has to find their second act. So like yeah. you have to reinvent like the magazine. You have to come up with different things. It's always a second act every day. Yes, completely. Completely. And speaking of that, I have to get into, you know that I'm obsessed with both jewelry and history. Yes, you, you told have, me in yes, our DM. You have an amazing book that just came out. And tell, I want to know how that became such a passion for you. Your, your, the jewelry, at, but the historical jewelry. Yeah. That's what I'm obsessed with. Yeah. I mean, that is what made me fall in love with jewelry was the connection between jewelry and the historical period in which it was created. And, you know, I think that I definitely grew up liking jewelry. I mean, you know, in high school, I was always like the big, you know, the, the big earrings. Totally. And, but I think that. I, you know, I, I went in, there was this gallery on Madison called Primavera Gallery, and it was a, re- a really amazing, amazing place with historical jewelry that, you know, now there are a lot of places that do that. It was really ahead of its time. And I was, I mean, I was either an assistant at Vogue or in grad school. I mean, like I had nothing to offer this woman. And she was, her name is Audrey Friedman. She's still um, in business. And um, she really took me through pieces and explained, you know, sort of what Art Nouveau was and how, you know, why suddenly these materials were available to people in Paris um, and what they might have seen sort of recently um, that might have inspired them. Or she showed me these amazing Cartier Sputnik pins that were, you know, directly a result of of Sputnik. And you start to make these connections, right? You think of jewelry as these beautiful objects in a glass vitrine, disconnected from reality for most of us and from anything else except the fact that they're beautiful. And, And once someone made that connection, sort of showed me the collision between this art and the historical forces that, produced it, I was, I was totally hooked because again, going back to storytelling, Mm -hmm. it gave these beautiful objects a story. Right. So, so that's where it all really got, I got hooked. I think I got hooked because I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a medieval history freak and that's all I read about mostly in European history. And again, and, 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 you know, ancient Egypt, I know you've done stories on the, you know, the, the, but again, yeah, it's always um, the stories of what those pieces meant that yeah. why people would even give jewelry. You know, it's like Anne Boleyn, Anne Boleyn famously gave Henry, you know, that ship bro- brooch. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, and she had it designed and it was like a ship uh, at sea that was rocking and it represented like that everything, every gift represented like the yeah. story or or the little puzzle rings or the right. right. Um, and I just find that so fascinating. You can learn about a culture. I mean, even some of the stuff they find from, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, like, right. like monolithic stuff. It's just, it's fascinating. They, they usually, right. whether it was about a God or praying to yeah. a goddess, that's what that jewelry was about. And it's like, and the amulets and the crests. and Right, right. No, and also the fact that any civilization that is discovered, there's always jewelry. Yes. Right? And so, you know, is it, is it frivolous? Is it about adornment? Yes, but there is obviously a human instinct for adornment. I mean, and it is primal sake. and keepsake and, and it is primal, yeah. you know, so. Religious yeah. jewelry was about protection right. and right. Right. jewelry was about protection and gods. And like, now we wear it and it's great. But like, even now to this day, my mom just sent me the cutest thing yesterday. I mean, it was from some website. It was just all this little like evil eye, you know, like thinking of you. And it's just, it it just, that's why I think I'm obsessed with jewelry because it means something, you know, 
Right. I mean, everything, um, Dave is like, anything he ever asked me what I want. I'm like, jewelry. He's like, more jewelry? I'm like, you can't, you can't ever have enough jewelry. Like, there's, I don't think you can. Well, thank God for people like you. Um, no, it's, um, you know, listen, it means something to you personally, right? It has that. I mean, the the dimensions of of jewelry also fascinate me because it it has a place in some of the most important moments of your life. I mean, think about your engagement. It is sealed with a piece of jewelry. Um, and then it also, when discovered, can tell you by the stones that are used to the motifs that is you, you know, you can date jewelry and place it in a historical period. Um, and, and that to me gives it a place in history as, as much as anything else. Is that the most interesting part of jewelry to you? Is that aspect of it? Like the yes. storytelling it. So it's, it's yeah. it all goes back to storytelling for you. Storytelling. And listen, sometimes, you know, as I've gotten to know jewelers, their stories too make it right. So it's, you know, knowing who created something is as important as when it was created mm, and the artistry of it, the artistry of it. And it's such an intimate art, right? I mean, jewelers take their hands, put them on the stone, they carve the gold, you know, and then you wear it on your, your, your hand, right? It is such a very direct link between creator and, you know, and the, uh, the piece of art and then the wearer. Um, it, you know, someone, this amazing French jeweler, Marie-Hélène de Tayac told me that if a woman in, uh, or a person in her workshop was in a bad mood, um, she would send them home. She wouldn't let them work on the jewelry because their bad mood would sort of wow. seep into the stones. So and you, I thought, yeah, you've been, to the crown. you've <laughs> seen the crown jewels, obviously. Yes. Yes. And all that stuff. I'm fascinated too. I mean, there was a part of history where jewelry was commerce. Yeah. You know, jewelry was, you know, dowries. Jewelry was yeah. money. I mean, it was like, I, you know, here's a, here, you know, here, are, you'll get these pearls and Queen Elizabeth's pearls in exchange for, I mean, it's right. It's fascinating. I know. I think of it like you. I, I don't know if everyone does, but I love, yeah. I love your stories so much because you talk about, you know, whether it's Wallace Simpson or like whenever you're talking about the hearse, like you give the store. And I'm always, when I look at your, your Instagram in the magazine, I'm like, are people understanding like how <laughs> cool this is? And like, what was going on in this period in history when Diana got that ring and blah, 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 blah. You know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have such a similar passion to it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting to think about, um, you know, I think this season of the crown, you really saw, sort of the role jewelry played and it was a real plot point. That was a pretty, yeah. When she, you when know, she picked out her ring, when she picked out her ring or the, you know, the bracelet that she discovers oh. Charles's for Camilla, oh. you know, I mean, there's lots of, you know, jewelry sort of moves the plot a lot this season. I just um, love that you're because you're a historian and you love history like me. And I love that with you, it's, it's so much more than, than the, than the jewelry and the, you know, whether it's fancy or not, like that's so not how you, you know, that's not your thing. It's just, it's more about what it's about, what it represents. And again, the storytelling, that's why I love the way you do your, your stories on Instagram. Oh, thank you. I love stories. It's my favorite part of Instagram. So is this like your act? What do you, this is, well, 15th act is the, is the, is the books, is the writing of jewelry and the, um, and the, um, you know, telling these stories and, and doing more books. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd love to do, I love writing books. I, it is, you know, someone, I did an interview for a magazine about how, about like time management and how I wrote the book while, you know, editing the magazine. And now I'm also, um, the editorial director of El Decor too. So I have sort of, you know, um, and the pace of writing a book is so different than what I do at the magazine that it feels almost like this sort of cocoon I can go into when I am writing a book. Um, you know, it means sort of like a year of, I mean, there's no weekends, no vacations, but um, there's a, a sort of quiet to writing a book that writing for magazines has a much more sort of like, um, you know, it's more sort of staccato, like you're like, boom, 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 boom. 
Um, deadline, 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 deadline. Um, so I, I do love the experience. I mean, I, my first book came out, I guess about four years ago and, and then this book just came out. So I think, I think that's a pretty good pace. So I'd love to do another one. And this book is what the book is called because I got it on Amazon. Ah, it's called Jewels That Made History. And it's very sort of um, cleverly sized. We, you know, I I went to, I I worked with Rizzoli again and um, Caitlin LaFell, who was my editor on the first book, was my editor on this book. And a man named Matt Berman designed it who had been the creative director of George magazine. So that's how I first knew him. Cause we worked um, sort of, I worked uh, in, at that company for a little bit. And, um, and we, I said, I wanted to feel like a digest, right? A sort of glossary, but nothing boring. I don't want it to feel like a, a dictionary but I wanted to feel like something you can sort of reference. And sort of they both came up with this very clever size um, so sometimes people order it and then are surprised that it is, it's sort of like, or it's not reader's digest size. It's not that small, but it is, it's, it's like, it's, uh, you can't see me. So I, I forgot I'm on the podcast. It's <laughs> but okay. maybe, it is, maybe we'll show this part, but it is stunning. Okay. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I loved writing it and I'm glad people are, people seem to be enjoying it. So that makes me really happy. I'm so happy to talk to you. And I really, am, I can't believe we went to the same high school either. Like that, really, that just trips me out. A lot exactly. of us did pretty well, you know? Yeah. Listen, it was, you know, for me, I had a wonderful experience there. And um, it, uh, it, you know, I, I think in many ways, if I looked at the timeline of where I am now, a lot of that started at Poly. Um, you know, and it, a lot of it was, as we said before, because there were a few people there that really said, you can do this. And there were some really great teachers there. And, and my love of history started in high school, but definitely being a Brooklyn girl, come on, you love a jewelry starts very young because like <laughs> it, it was all about like the door knockers and then the Tiffany bean and then the Tiffany heart yeah. and then the silver bracelets. We all had to have the Tiffany. Yeah. And all I ever wanted was the Cartier ring, which I ended uh-huh. up buying myself my first job. I was like, Amazing. I love that first job. I was like, I am buying that Trinity ring for myself. Um, but all of that came from, from, I think the eighties and nineties yeah. and being in Brooklyn. Yeah, or a nameplate. I mean, I feel oh. like the time you were, you know, like it might've sort of phased out, but when I was for like a freshman, sophomore, having a nameplate was really, and you know, of course, my name, I had to get a custom nameplate. I can't so. see you with a Staline nameplate. You're way too one. elegant. I, I had one, believe me, I had one. Well, I told you that one of my, well, this is an exact, but I think I, t- I said in one of our DMs that I, my dream is to do a historical jewelry line, you know, like, like, yeah. like, like, uh, I just, I, I'm so fascinated. That's why I love your book so much. And I just, yeah. that's another act that I have in me sometime yeah. um, affordable, you know, cause not yeah. everyone can afford to get the, the Cartier stuff and all the, the you know, right. Dave, you're going to get me all that rich stuff. Jewelry, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you like, we, I, 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 I usually ask people like a bunch of questions at the end Sure, sure. You can answer them or you can just be like, pass. Okay. I had like a couple, one person that was like offended that I asked some political okay. stuff. So I don't know. Okay. So if you could have one piece of jewelry that you have seen and held in your hands and you could have it and they, someone would give it to you, I know that's a very hard question. Yeah, I know what it is. Oh, what is it? Um, it's the piece that got away. So there is a jeweler named Suzanne Belperone that was one of the um, most daring uh, jewelers, uh, I would say, ever. And one of the very few female jewelers of the um, sort of 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, and I had once seen and tried on this amazing white agate spinel ring and it fit me. And a lot of her original stuff is very small. Yeah, they were tiny. They were tiny. And um, 
it, you know, I think it was like $8,000 and I was like, forget it. I mean, you know, whatever. Now the market for her pieces, it probably would be, that ring probably would be about $40,000. So it's the one that got away. Also, I feel her, she was, I mean, her imagination was just incredible, but also her character was so incredible. She had um, a, a partner who was Jewish and he, um, you know, was sent to the camps and gave her the business and, um, she kept it running while he was at the camps. He died. He was killed in the camps and his son somehow made it back to Paris and, um, you sort of, you know, they met and, um, he said, you know, thank you so much for keeping this and keeping, you know, um, Hertz Belperon going. And she said, um, you know, well, it's both of ours. And, and she, then they became, um, partners. So she just is, I mean, she was just in a word fierce in every way. So yeah, she was fierce. Okay. What is something that you, that you really, really want to do that you have not done yet? Cause you've done a lot. Um, I would like to learn to drive. What? I do not. Donut. You do. You donut. You don't know how to drive. I. I had a license briefly, (laughs) very briefly, and um, I would like to. Not that I would probably drive. I'm. I'm a sort of you know, very proud New Yorker. And, um, and part of me loves that I don't drive because as soon as I tell people I don't drive, they're like, oh, obviously you're from New York. Um, so I do love that. But, um, you know, I think that there is a sort of, you know, there's a certain independence that comes. Just a little bit. I mean, maybe a tiny bit of independence where you don't need to take the jitney or get a ride or like you could just get in your car. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. L.A. life, as you know, forget it. I mean, there is. I know. I know. I mean, so I, I love LA so much and I used to come out there all the time and it was, you know, when Uber was introduced in LA, it like changed my life Yeah, because it was, I was either dependent on friends or I would try and get cabs in LA, which was really hard. And um, so Uber changed my life, but still, I I should learn to drive. You so that you had to do it though in Polly. Like we all, I mean, at one well, point, I took driver's ed, but the driver's ed teacher. It's one of my ongoing skits that I like to do because people love a Bay Ridge story. Yeah. I'm sure you know that, right? They love to hear about Bay Ridge. They love Brooklyn. Anything they love. They love Brooklyn, but I always say Bay Ridge is a certain kind of Brooklyn. Like it is true blue Brooklyn yeah. and, and, um, and it's old school Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And so I, we had a driver's ed guy and all he wanted us to learn how to do was palm the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what is going on here? Was he like and in an IROC? He would be like, look, look, I don't, I don't even have to look. I'm at, I'm at 12 o'clock. I'm at three o'clock and that's all he wanted to show us how to palm the wheel. Oh my God. And it, it's one of my like classic, um, the one of the classic Bay Ridge stories in my itinerary. I'll tell you, I, 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 I dated a guy uh, that did not know how to drive in the older years of my life. And um, when, when a man doesn't know how to drive, it's not as cute. I'm just <laughs> gonna say that. When you're in living in Los Angeles, <laughs> and a man doesn't drive it's it's uh it's uh yeah it's not good I mean you can't you can't what are you gonna do you can't I mean there's no other way there's no public chance yeah, no, yeah. second I, I go think, to New listen, York. even as you know I I travel a lot I travel a lot on my own and it, it's it's probably time but um you know but you have a driver right for the work no no no, no. I mean I for work, I, I can walk to work, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's New York. I either walk every place, which I oh. love. I'm a, a big, big walker. And, um, or I, you know, take a cab. You're making me so nostalgic. When I just, um, when I was home doing Blue Bloods, I was so 
happy. And Dave came with me and it was his first time in Brooklyn. And I didn't even, we didn't even get to go to Bay Ridge and um, Brooklyn Heights, you know, yeah. where I grew up because we, there was no time, but I just must've said every five seconds, like, don't you love it here? Wouldn't you rather live it here? Wouldn't you rather live here? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, I love it. It's great. And he, you know, he runs, he's a runner. So he's, okay. been, he's been going to New York way for years without me for clients and, you know, advertising and stuff. But I just, when I get there, it's just the feeling of the freedom of going yeah. outside, walking or jumping in the, on the subway or cat. There is nothing like it out here in LA. Yeah. You yeah. are trapped here to, to go to like shopping. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. What do you think town and country is going to look like 10 years from now? And are you still going to be there? Oh gosh. I don't know. I mean, that's not totally my decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, listen, I think I am, I will be sort of emotionally and spiritually with town and country forever. I mean, I really think it is also, I mean, the, the editors and the staff of town and country are, you know, it's a real crew and we have also, you know, lots of contributors and people that we feature that have become great friends. Um, so it is, it's always going to be a part of my life, um, I hope. And I think, you know, what's amazing is after 175 years, it does look different, but you'd still recognize it as town and country no matter what year. And I think that's that's sort of the secret to it. I mean, in 1846, these two young guys decided to create this magazine and their mission, we have the like original editor's letter um, in the office and their mission was to instruct, refine and amuse. Mm. And, and when we are putting the issue together, like I just got the page plan for the March issue. So it's sort of the whole magazine and like mini tiles. And, you know, I look at it and think, am I, Am I teaching our readers something? Am I sort of showing them the best of what's out there? And am I making them laugh a little bit? Am I sort of raising their eyebrow a little bit? Um, so, um, so that continues. Mm -hmm. And I think that really it has always, you always see that. You know, I mean, we have this amazing archive room in the office and you could go in there and look at a town and country from 1901. Um, you could look at, you know, a town and country from 1963, 1973, it's you know, like the Brooks 80s, Brothers. The yeah. Eight, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, obviously the, the people change, you know, who we're covering um, and, and town and country, you know, those principles do not mean that it's stuck in time. Um, they're, they're a guide, but it continues to evolve and grow and I hope just get better. Okay, here's a juicy question. You don't have okay. to give me a name, but have you ever been pitched somebody for the cover that you have just been without, like, absolutely not? Like, I don't care who, how yeah, big she I is. Think, I think it's, I think it's clear sort of, you know, we, there has to be some, I think the, you know, what makes a great cover is a, like a constant topic of conversation, especially now as, you know, like the newsstand is not as strong, obviously, for anybody. And the pandemic has just, you know, really sort of rushed that. Um, so, so for me, the cover subject has to make sense as a town and country cover subject, or there's, you know, when someone goes to buy it, there's sort of a disconnect. Um, you know, and same thing, or if our subscriber is, is receiving it in their home, you know, and it, it doesn't make sense as a town and country cover, then we're not doing our job. That's you a know, very, very kind, diplomatic, wonderfully <laughs> elegant answer to me trying to get some juice. <laughs> I'm like, what chick would I not put on the cover? Let me start. Okay. How about this? What do you think was, um, cause I know you, 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 you're so great also following you during the award seasons and all the, you know, all your top picks, like, what, what do you think was like one of the worst faux pas jewelry moments? And I want to know if you agree with me about one. I have one. Uh, well, my biggest faux pas is when people don't wear jewelry. <laughs> you're, so I mean, you're not into that, like, like no jewelry look? No, I'm no, not. Oh, also because, um, 
you know, when you're on the red carpet and, and I would like to see more imaginative jewelry. Um, you know, I think I always taught, I mean, Ava Mendez one year wore this turquoise and diamond Van Cleef, like big, big necklace. Mm -hmm. And I always post it like the, the golden globes. I always post it. I always see it, you post it. It is so gorgeous. And it was such a risk. Um, I think Rachel Zoe styled her and, it was a risk because no one was wearing jewelry then. It was like all sort of diamond stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the look. I, I, you know, the, when Diana wore the choker as a headband. Yes. Yeah. Like I want, I would, if I, you know, someday, when I get to yes, the club, exactly. you, you will, I will be calling you and you will you help better. me. You, you will better. Help me, you will help me borrow something. But I, I would, I thought that was so yes. fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Like people that do that, like, um, and yeah. I remember Michelle Williams when she was with Heath Ledger, that yellow dress and, yes. The yes. Bro you know, putting the brooch in the hair, that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, um, or um, Cameron Diaz once wore this beautiful diamond barrette when she was, um, she, she was wearing this beautiful Chloe outfit and she had like a very short bob and just a diamond barrette in her hair or um, she too one year, um, I miss her on the red carpet very much. Actually, I miss her. Too. Like, she had. Yeah. I, I think I was saying today that she really yeah. had like the the elegance mixed with the rock star style. Oh yeah, and I just I watched being John Malkovich a few weeks ago. What I mean, she was amazing, and yeah. that movie is is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she once wore this like fuchsia strapless gown and really bold turquoise jewelry. I love that. The mix and match. That, right. I, or Kate Blanchett, I think oh. also really, um, you know, she has this Jean-Paul Gaultier sort of out, uh, a sort of black dress with all this sort of vintage Indian jewelry sort of all down her back. Um, you know, I mean, my feeling is when you are going to be on a red carpet, you have access to everything. Right. I, so, I yeah. You know, so like, go for it, have fun with it. And, um, you know, I am, and, and I my dream for so long, like not yeah. only just to, oh. get to do the work. I mean, of course I want to do the work, but like getting to, to, to do the jewelry thing, I would be like more, I remember Kate Hudson said more is more is more like, like, and I'm more like that sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm covered like, you know, layer and layering. And I'm like, I mean, what else am I going to do? I mean, like, it's not like I'm going out. I mean, I just <laughs> want to put more on, you know? Yeah. No. Well, when that happens, you call me and we'll also get Dave some jewelry because the other thing that I have loved over the last, I would say year or two is, is men on the red carpet wearing yeah. jewelry. You, right? did a, you did a whole thing on that. We did. We did. And um, and we had amazing actors, um, sort of in jewelry and artists. And um, this, the last Oscars before shutdown, so like that February where we were all still so like naive about what was to come, um, there was not a man on the red carpet without some jewelry, like a lapel pin or a necklace. And I, I really, that really sort of meant a lot to me. Well, as long as you style it, I will allow it. Uh, absolutely. I, I can't wait to style you for if this. He br if he brings out the his, you know, the, his old 1980s kind of, uh, you were never into that stuff, but the hard rocker, you know, he's a, he's a hard rock guy. And no, it's yeah. got to be done right. <laughs> and the last question is, when I get my big job, will you please have me in the magazine where I can do a historical jewelry Thing. Oh, I, I would, would love that. To do oh something. my God, I would love that. Well, I will tell you that you being on Blue Bloods and the fact that I know you has like made a huge impression on my mother. She oh. loves Blue Bloods so much. And um, and she thinks they should bring your character back, and the the that that storyline is so great. It is great. I don't. I I thought for sure. And um and well, you, is your mom? Does she have a like I have a Greek accent. No, not at all. My mother was born in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So she's of Greek descent. My father was born in Greece. No, my mother has a big Brooklyn accent. Well, then I'm saying she talks like, yeah, like my mother. Like, it's like, why are you not on the show? I don't understand. Um, actually, Dave said to me the other day, what's going on? Your accent has come out. Like, it just, like, it comes and goes. But lately, it's just been like talking like this again. But yeah, it's a great character. Listen, I'm so lucky to have worked at all. But um, 
that show is crazy. I mean, long t- longest running show now, other than you. I know, I know. I'm so well, glad I got to talk too. So, so get on that too. I, I will get on that, and I will get on something where I can you you can do a historic drape me in whatever. Honestly, it's and 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 when I come to New York, I would love to come see the archives. I would love to visit. Oh, absolutely. Well, hopefully, and get together um, again because last yeah. time you invited me and I couldn't make it. But um, well, hopefully soon we'll be back in the office and yes. Um, but you know, New York is is trying there are amazing sort of outdoor restaurant setups and um, I know we loved it when I was there when it, it you know it's I don't know what they're doing here I really don't I mean businesses are going under left and right around this neighborhood so it's really sad but hopefully everyone's next act I mean look we have a new president yeah no, right? I, and <laughs> I think speaking of second acts I you know I think both our cities hopefully are gearing up for, for theirs. Um, and, and all we can all do is, is support and, you know, and, and, and enjoy, you know, the, uh, we both live in amazing, amazing American cities. So we do. um, Yeah. So thank you for talking to me. You're so glamorous and fabulous. And I love following you. Everybody, please follow your Instagram is, is unbelievable. Like it's, I love it. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to see you. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I love that woman. She's so accomplished and so elegant, and she's done so many things with her life. And definition of second act, I mean, go from being a public high school teacher to editor-in-chief of (laughs) of Town & Country magazine and a book author and growing up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. What's up, Brooklyn? All my peeps, I hope you're listening. I hope you downloaded and subscribed, Um, especially you Polly Prep alumni. Um, But I'm so proud of her. You have to buy her book. Like I said, it's on Amazon. It's called Jewels That Made History, 101 Stones, Myths, and Legends. It's stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. I could have talked about the historical jewelry thing the entire time. Um, If anybody knows me, that two are my biggest passions are those things. I'm probably going to try to get some history people on here soon and talk more about history. So hopefully your ears don't bleed when I do that, like my friends do. Um, anyway, follow her on Instagram, Staline Volandez, just her name, um, V-O-L-A-N-D-E-S. I love her. She's awesome. Thank you guys for listening. And like I said, please follow the new Instagram account because those bastards deleted my old one. I have no idea why. Um, it just disappeared one day. So now we have to do all the work all over again. Thanks, Dave, for doing all that work. And it is second underscore act underscore podcast on Instagram. And I really look forward to hearing from you guys. I'm so happy to be back. And um, I have a lot of stories about what went down and we'll get into that and how I am living my second act again and again and again and again. And ask me a question on Instagram. So I can, I want to have a question and answer session um, in the pod session. I just flip my words. I want to have a question and answer session. Um, and hear from you guys and answer questions. And I'll have a I'll have a podcast soon where I'm going to talk only about me and my second act uh, and my third and fourth and fifth act. <laughs> so that should be interesting. And I'm wishing you all lots of love and happy new year. And I hope everybody is healthy and safe and stay healthy and wear a mask. And let's do this, 2021. Let's do this. Okay, lots of love. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.